So imagine with me you're on a trip. Maybe it's a pleasure trip, maybe it's a business trip, but you are away from home, and you find yourself in this beautiful little seaside community. It's an old retirement community. It's very quaint, very peaceful there. And you realize it's Sunday morning. And vacation or not, you realize I probably ought to be in church. And so you get out your phone and you look on Google and you try to find a church in the community and there isn't one. There's no church at all. You think, well, that's strange. Maybe they just haven't caught up yet and put it on Google. So you get in your car and you drive around town and you're looking for a church. You're looking for any sign. You're listening for bells. Nothing. You see nothing. And so you think, well, what else can I do? Where else should I go? So you end up at a little diner near the near the water, near the lake there. You end up by in a diner having your breakfast. You think, well, I'll just enjoy a view of the water here on this Sunday morning. And as you're sitting there drinking your coffee, you notice a couple of ladies at a table across the way, and they're having a wonderful time. They're laughing and they're talking and they're sharing together. You notice the one because she's dressed in purple and she's got one of those crazy red hats. You know, she's one of those people dressed in purple, like right up here up front. Where's your crazy red hat today? I don't know. And you hear them laughing together and sharing together. And then you notice that she actually has a Bible open on the table. And you hear them reading scripture together. After a while, you see them fold their hands, they bow their heads, and they pray for a moment. And suddenly you're wondering, here in this town where there's not a single church, and I encounter these two very obviously faithful people, followers of Jesus, uh, I've got to know, know more. So you pick up your coffee, you go over to the table, you sit down, you ask, ask if you can sit, they invite you to sit, and you join in that conversation. And there, over your coffee and your and your bacon and your pancakes, you share your stories, you share your prayers, you share life, and you realize that this, this was church. Now, I bet some of you have had those kind of encounters. You didn't go looking for those encounters. It's more like those kind of encounters found you. You were maybe at a restaurant or maybe at a store and you struck up a conversation with someone and after a while that person said to you, you're a Christian, aren't you? Or they asked, where do you go to church? Because they knew that there was something about you. And so you swap stories and you laugh together a little bit and you realize there's this immediate connection that comes with faith and it's that kind of relationship that you look back on later and you realize there was something special in that encounter. What you shared may have been very temporary, but there was definitely something eternal to it. You know, when we open our Bibles, it's easy to forget that the people that we read about here, they had relationships just like we have relationships. We read stories that are thousands of years old. We read names that are hard to pronounce. We find places, little towns and, and cities that we can't pronounce the names of them very often. We feel very disconnected. But I promise you, you know these people. You know hearts like their hearts. And sometimes I think it's best not to start with the book of the Bible or the letter that we're reading in the Bible or the details that are written, but, but look at what's unwritten. Look at the relationships that are there. Look at the lives that are shared, the love that they shared. And I think when we do that, we start to see ourselves 
a lot more clearly in the stories in the Bible. And you see that truth, a truth that you already know, that shared beginnings, those shared beginnings of friendships, shared beginnings point to lifelong connections. So we're going to spend the next few months in the letter to the Philippians, but to get to Philippians, we can't start there. We really have to go back to the book of Acts and start in Acts chapter 16. By the way, it's page 925 in those blue Bibles in front of you. Or you can follow along if you've got the app. All of the notes are there. All the scriptures are there. We really have to start in Acts chapter 16 with a prayer meeting that is happening by the riverside just outside of Philippi. Now, Philippi, if you read through the book of Acts, and you see what Paul normally does there. You know that when Paul's on his missions trips, his missionary trips, Paul very often will go, first of all, to the synagogue. He finds a Jewish synagogue. He finds people that share his background, that share his faith, share his belief. And he goes there first, and he preaches Christ to them. He tells them that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. Well, he gets to Philippi, which is a leading city in Macedonia. Philippi, which is a, a Roman colony, it's a retirement community for Roman soldiers and Roman officers. And he gets to Philippi and there's no synagogue. There's no presence of a Jewish belief, a Jewish, uh, Jewish background there. Now, in order to have a synagogue, you had to have at least 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. There had to be 10 Jewish men in your community. Apparently, there's not enough in Philippi to start a synagogue. The next choice, if you didn't have a synagogue was to find a place of prayer and to meet together on the Sabbath and to just share together and pray together. And that's what Paul finds when he heads down to the riverside just outside of the gates of Philippi. <laughs> and he finds this woman dressed in purple. And they spend some time together. And they share some prayers together. The story begins in Acts chapter 16, verse 11. We're going to read 11 through 15. Luke writes, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and from there, and the following day, to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we were outside the gate, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One, of the, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and she was baptized, and her household as well. After she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I bet there's a Lydia or two in your life. Maybe you're somebody else's Lydia, though. Maybe, maybe you either know a Lydia or you are a Lydia, that person that you have that instant connection with, and, and it's like you've known each other forever. That friendship didn't so much begin. That friendship was launched. I love how Luke describes this connection for us in verse 14. It says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. It isn't that they hit it off. It isn't that they just got along, that, uh, that, that there was a connection, that there was an affinity to, between the two of them. There was something spiritual in this friendship 
There was something holy, and they realized that God had brought them together. You've got friendships like that, where you realize God has brought us together, and you share that life, you share that connection. Verse 15 says that Lydia and her entire family were baptized. They made that commitment, and they were baptized. And then you hear a very heartfelt request in verse 15. Lydia says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Come and stay. Come spend some time with me. Where are you staying? You're staying at that hotel in the city? Oh, no, 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 no. I got plenty of room. You come to my house and you stay at my house. I'll take care of you. And Luke says, and she prevailed upon us. Some of your Bibles say she persuaded us. I get the idea that Lydia was someone that you didn't say no to. You don't say no to a Lydia. And so from that first meeting down by the riverside, just outside of Philippi, where Paul encounters these women who are praying, where he first meets this woman dressed in purple, to the first verse of the letter to the Philippians, the letter to that community, that church. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Now we read that and scholars would have us notice the different categories of people. But they are all saints. Some of them are overseers. That is, some of them are elders. Some of them are leaders in the congregation. Some of them are listed as deacons, which means that they were servants in that congregation. But, but these were friends. And they shared a common connection. They shared that beginning together. And as we read through Philippians, you hear that connection, you hear that friendship in every word of this letter. And you've known beginnings like that. You've known beginnings that led to, to lifelong connections, friendships that you hold dear. And just like Paul and the people of, of Philippi, you've also had shared struggles. Not just, not just those shared beginnings, but you've had shared struggles with people. Shared struggles that point to a shared hope. Acts 16 assembles the characters that make up the beginning of the Philippian church. Not just the characters, though. Also the, the circumstances, the struggles that they went through. It begins there by the riverside, but then they move into town, and that's when the trouble really starts, when they go back into the city of Philippi. Continuing on in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by, by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to have them beat with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. 
I like that. They've stripped them naked, they've beaten them with rods, but they tell the jailer, you make sure they're safe. Keep them safe. They'll be fine with you. Good thoughts. It's interesting, though, isn't it? That slave girl, possessed by this demon, being used by her owners who are profiting from her oppression, profiting from her pain, it says in verse 18, she was set free. That very hour, she was set free. And then verse 19 says of the owners, their hope was gone. She's set free, but their hope is gone. <laughs> I think they had the wrong hope. You know, you, you've been in hopeless situations with people. Sometimes you've been in hopeless situations with people that you barely know. I hear some of you tell the stories of the friendships that you strike up in the chemotherapy centers when you're there waiting for a treatment, when you're there waiting for, for the, the treatment that you have to have, and you, you're brought together by those shared struggles but you also share your hope. You share your friendship, and you're blessed to share that. For our family, it's those phone calls we get or those messages we get from people who say, we just got a diagnosis of autism. What do we do next? And so we get to share with them about that, and we're brought together by those, by those shared struggles, and in that shared struggle, we find a shared hope. Now understand, <clears throat> that doesn't necessarily mean that it gets easier. And you look, you look at Paul and Silas, and nothing gets easier for Paul and Silas in this story. They're dragged into the street. They are stripped of their clothes. They are beaten with rods. And they're the ones that are accused of causing a disturbance. And whereas Lydia had extended this invitation with them, Lydia had said, come and stay at my house. <laughs> Verse 29, or 20, 24. Having received this order, the jailer put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. From Lydia's invitation, come and stay with me. Now it's the jailer who says, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> you're staying with me. Two completely different circumstances. And yet it's the same God who's leading them. The same trust that they still have in that God and the same hope that they still have. And these are the people that Paul writes to. These are the people Paul's writing to when he writes this letter to the Philippians. People that he's worshipped with and prayed with by the riverside, and also people who prob probably people who beat him in the middle of the streets when he was naked. He, he's, he's writing to all of these people. People who suffered with him in prison, in, in the jail. And yet, how does Paul greet all of them? Philippians chapter 1, verse 2, he writes, Grace and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. How does he write these people? Grace and peace. Two gifts. Two gifts, and Paul writes it with the recognition that even in the worst of circumstances, those gifts are present because we're present there. We're there with each other. And just as surely as we find shared hope in times of shared struggle, we also know that shared victories point to greater victories in our lives. I'm sure jail was not, was not Paul's plan for this trip. And yet, here in Acts chapter 16, this becomes one of the most famous stories in the book of Acts. It's here in, the, in this jail that Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns at midnight, and all of a sudden the, uh, the, there's an earthquake and the chains fall off of them and the doors of the, of the jail all open. Is it any wonder that Philippians is characterized as a letter of joy 
They, you know, they, they knew the power of joy. They knew the power of joy to set captives free. They knew that even in those darkest places, God still showed up with victory. Continuing on in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Now you may not have been in jail, although I wouldn't put it past some of you who have been in jail, but you've been in a place that you didn't want to be. You've all been in that place where you just did not want to be, to be that dark place where you didn't want to be, but where God needed you to be. I think about my friend Larry, who told me the story of waking up one day after he had passed out on the bathroom floor. He'd gotten drunk and passed out on the bathroom floor, and as he was waking up, there was his little son standing over him. And his son looks at him and says, Why, Daddy? Why are you like this? Larry didn't want to be in that place, but he needed to be in that place because that place changed his life. He was never the same person after that. Paul needed to be in that jail for himself, but mostly for the jailer. And you hear that in the next part of the story going on from verse 29. The jailer called for light and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. You hear that question, what must I do to be saved? Because right in that moment, he thought his life was over. If any of those prisoners had escaped, Rome would have had his head. He's desperate. He's hopeless. If only he'd heard the slave girl. You know, if only he'd heard the slave girl back in the marketplace, back in verse 17, these men are messengers of the Most High God. They are here to show you the way to salvation. But he wasn't there that day. And so he hears the messengers, messengers here in this dark place, in the right place, and at the right time. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then we read in verse 33, And he, the jailer, took them that same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, and he and his, all his family. And he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. From hopeless to hope, from afraid for his life to gloriously and wonderfully saved. Verse 33 says at that same hour he washed their wounds and then they washed him clean through baptism. That same hour. It's interesting because verse 18 says of the slave girl, that very hour she was set free. There was an hour for him. There was an hour for her. There's an hour for every one of us. There's an hour for you when everything changes when victory comes even in the darkest places. Paul ends the, the letter to the Philippians, chapter 4. Paul's wrapping everything up. 
And in chapter 4, verses 21 through 23, he writes, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. And the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Greet every saint. <laughs> and who is every saint in Philippi? Well, there's the lady in purple. There's the formerly possessed slave girl. There's that slave girl who was broken that they met in the marketplace. There is the jailer who feared for his life and then encountered Jesus. They all knew the power of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their spirits were changed. Their spirits were made new. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. There's a little verse at the beginning of the Philippian letter that where Paul's expressing his love for these people. He's expressing his, his affection for them. And I love the way it's said there in Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. Paul writes, It is right for me to feel this way for you. It is right for me to have this kind of affection, this kind of love for you all. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. I hold you in my heart. I think you hear something of that statement in its very beginnings here in the book of Acts at the beginning of this church. And you hear it in every word of the letter to the Philippians. And you know it's truth because there are those that you hold in your hearts and you know the value of those relationships. The relationships that you build here can be the relationships that sustain you in those Times of turmoil, like that young lady there in the, in the marketplace. Those times of darkness, like that jailer there in his own jail cell who's suddenly very worried about his future and his family. And in those times when it's like you've just been waiting for Jesus to come along all along, just like Lydia there by the riverside, the relationships you build here can be the relationships that sustain you. Think about the people you hold in your hearts. Think about the people that you hold in your hearts. People you've worshipped with, you've been there with them through those small beginnings. You've been with them in the best times. You've also been with them in the most difficult, the darkest, the, the worst times. You've seen them struggle. You've seen them grow. You've served with them. You've served with joy. And you want the very best for those people. You want the very best life for them because you hold them in your hearts. And what we're going to see through the letter of Philippians, it's not just that you want the best for them, but that you are the best for them. It teaches us how to care for those that we hold in our hearts, how to be the best for them, how to be the friend that they need, how to be the friend that we all need. Because the strength that you bring to people in this place and the strength that you draw from each other in this place is the strength that holds us together as we hold each other in our hearts. Let's never forget that as we serve together. It's a small detail in the, in the Lord's Prayer, but it's there when you hear it. Jesus doesn't say, My Father who art in heaven. He doesn't say, Your Father who art in heaven. It's a small detail. He says, Our Father. 
From that very beginning, there is a relationship that we have with one another. We are called together. None of us, none of us have, a, uh, have anything on over the, the, the other person. We're all called to that relationship to come to the Father. And Jesus says, this is my body broken. This is my blood shed, the blood of my covenant that has been shed for many. It's something that we share. And we share the responsibility of showing one another Jesus in those good times and in those rough times, in those happy times by the riverside, as well as in those dark times in the jail cell. Why it's important we come back to this time after time, week after week, and remind ourselves that this wasn't just done for me, this wasn't just done for you, this was done for us. We share this. I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, and we'll take together. Let's pray. Father, I'm... I am so blessed to be here with those that I hold in my heart, in my heart. I'm blessed to know the, the names that I've seen popping up on our, on our live stream right now and, and to know those names of people that I hold in my heart, who hold me in their hearts as well. Lord, you've blessed us with relationships that sustain us, relationships that have gotten us through the most difficult times, some of the darkest times. And relationships that have pointed again and again to the grace that we share, the peace that we know through your Son, and the hope we have through Him. We ask your blessing today as we take this together. Bless this bread that represents the body broken. Bless the cup that represents the blood shed. And mostly bless this fellowship. Bless this bond as we hold one another in our hearts and as we point each other closer and closer to Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.